Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. You know, I've been trying very, very hard in the last 24 hours to imagine what life is like for Boston Bruins goaltender Tuka Rask this week after his captain revealed to the world that he is a stinky farter. Quoting Zdeno Chara from the Atlantic Division media video conference on Monday, quote, the way he farts, the smell is awful, he likes his chicken wings, sometimes I have to sit behind him on the bus, and I have to control myself. Zdeno Chara outing Tuka Rask, Tuta Rask, as they say now, as a stinky farter. There's a couple remarkable things about this. First, that it came out of Zdeno Chara's mouth, who in my experience, has been the most serious player of all time. In fact, when I asked him if his jaw was broken uh, in a press conference during the Stanley Cup final this year, I'm pretty sure he murdered part of my soul with his eyes. So to hear him joke like this was was pretty refreshing. Two, he said it on a call with noted introverts, John Tavares, uh, Dylan Larkin, not not necessarily the most personality guys. They even broke out and laughed. Seeing John Tavares smile was, was a welcome sight. And three, if you're wondering what Tuka Rast's life has been like, good thing right before we started recording, I got to catch up. He was on WEI this morning. He did an interview. And uh, guess what he said? What did he say? I'm only 34 when my contract expires, so it's not too old. I might play another year or two. Sorry, Zadetto. <laughs> well, good sport. And, you know, again, when your phone has been filled up with gust, wind, uh, wind, gust of wind and uh, poop emojis, for the last 24 hours, you have to hand it to the man for at least having a sense of humor about it. Tutorask, Zayn Achara, thank you for bringing the joy of stinky farts into our lives during these troubling times. Clarification. It was my joke, so sorry, Zadeno. I don't think Tuka made that joke. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You see, it's it's tough what, on the podcast because you don't know where the quotes are, right? It's yeah, much yeah, easier yeah. to do that in print. Uh, coming up on this edition of ESPN and Ice, we have Peter DeBoer, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, to tell us what life is like these days for an NHL coach, plus the latest news notes from the quarantine, uh, Bill Daly talking about when the regular season might restart, plus free agency stuff, plus other stuff. Um, and then also the NHLPA decided to bless every hockey writer with content this week with the annual players poll dropping, including Brad Marchand, winning best and worst trash talker for the second straight season. All that and more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. So let's set the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN and Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, occasional NHL reporter, but mostly WrestleMania reporter. I'm Emily Kaplan. I'm a national NHL reporter. I, uh, the Lapsed Fans Guide to WrestleMania drops this week. WrestleMania this weekend being held Saturday and Sunday inside of an empty performance training center in Orlando, Florida. Rob Gronkowski is your host, Emily, just to make sure that you're watching. Oh, I will absolutely not be watching. That didn't move the needle for me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we, are, we are also not watching hockey. Um, let's start use the first segment here to catch everybody up on what's going on. First of all, uh, Bill Daly talking la- late last week about the potential for the season restart. 
saying on the record that July a, a building availability has been explored, but also August building availability has been explored, and saying also that the cancellation or postponement, I guess we can call it, of the Tokyo Olympics creates quote a new a different kind of window for the NHL to get their stuff in uh at the end of July and the beginning of August. So, I mean, uh, to me obviously that's that's kind of speaking about their television partners and how difficult it would have been to get playoff games on NBC if it had the Summer Olympics going on, but it probably also means, you know, we feel more comfortable putting our product out there at a time when there isn't going to be this uh massive national obsession going on for for multiple weeks. Um so a, a little bit of 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 uh, foresight on the NHL's part, but obviously no one knows nothing as far as when the season's going to restart. Right. And you say foresight, I say aspiration. I still hear these quotes and I'm saying they're looking through the contingencies of best case scenarios because they're fully aware of how much money they're going to lose. They're fully aware um, of how bad this is to the league's bottom line and they're hell-bent on trying to figure out a way to do this. That said, Bill Daly also said, we'll get to a point where we have to start eliminating some options of what's realistic. And in my opinion, some of the things that are being thrown out there are just not realistic at all. Like what? Um, um, honestly, playing through August, and Nick Felino is the first guy that I've really heard on the record speak out against this. You should read our Q&A on ESPN.com. I think it was fascinating. But he's like, at some point, we have to be realistic. Like, this is a league that needs to put out its best product right before our TV deal is up. We need our best players playing at their peak. And to play through August, give us a break in, you know, September, October, then restart in November, that's just not natural on guys' bodies. And it's going to dilute our product and give us not a a normal season next year, which is right. what Gary Bettman has said is the most important thing right now. Yeah, and it should be. I don't think that hurting the integrity of next season to try to find some semblance of integrity for this season is, is a good idea at all. I do think it's interesting, and you and I have both sort of experienced this in the last couple of weeks, is the notion of how much of the player's input is going to play into whatever the mm-hmm. restart is, if in fact they restart it. They restart it. We've talked about how the NHLPA has to sign off on any playoff format or regular season format they decide on, but on top of that, it's pretty clear that these players either want regular season games prior to the postseason or they want some kind of maybe like small exhibition season before the playoffs start too. Like none of these guys want to jump right into the playoffs to the point where Connor McDavid said, look, if you want a bunch of AHL guys to be playing in a series between the Oilers and Flames by the end of the series, go ahead and let's start uh, that rivalry series straight away when we get back because everybody's going to get injured, basically. I mean, it, it, that's the that's the vibe being put out there by NHL players right now. Don't put us right into the playoffs. you got to give us a little bit of runway to get there. Except for Sid Novi, who are like, we're fine going right to the playoffs because our teams are <laughs> third and first place, respectively, in the Metropolitan Division. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think the big thing that happened last week, you know, and and to your point of players having to sign off on this, players are going to have to sign off on everything because this is going to affect free agency. Like Mm -hmm. guys are, we have a situation where guys have to amend their contract saying I'm now under contract for an extra one month or two months or whatever it may be. Um, And all these different things. I, I think we're in a situation now where people are understanding the finances. We've had, you know, a week or two to sit, look at the books, each team right now is now grappling with, okay, we, we dealt with the part-time workers, the part-time workers and arena workers, but mm-hmm. can we pay our full-time employees? Can we survive this without making layoffs or without making salary reductions? And, you know, maybe there are some veteran leaders who talk to their GMs and understand, well, it's better for everyone if we just suck this up and get out there, even if it's an undesirable format. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we'll talk about the layoffs later on a little bit more, but um, it is interesting to see the differences in how different teams and different leagues are handling this. I saw something last night where the Australian Rugby Association is furloughing or laying off its workers for three months, a, a particular time period. Three months is what they mm-hmm. said. And, and I just hope at the end of this that, you know, teams that are laying off personnel, that are um, reducing salaries, things of that nature, you know, that there is some follow through and promise that, yeah, you can get your job back or, yeah, you're going to get your full salary back um, at a certain point down the line. And in some cases, hopefully made whole because, you know, the money will hopefully eventually start flowing again. Um, you mentioned free agency. <clears throat> I thought that was kind of an interesting comment from Daly this week, too. <laughs> kind of saying the quiet part out loud, to be honest with you. He, he, he was talking about on a St. Louis radio station, uh, free agency and how much time the NHL might need to pull off free agency. And he kind of said, look, free agency is basically this. It's like 10 <laughs> days at the start of free agency and then 10 days at the end of free agency, uh, or right, like we right before the season. That. Yeah, and then and then and then you don't need anything in between because that's when everybody goes to their cabins. Basically, he didn't say that, but that's kind of what he's inferring. And to be quite candid, I mean, the machinery of these teams is spinning as we talk. It's not as if there aren't any games and teams aren't still doing their homework and doing their scouting and watching tape and getting a a battle plan in place for what they would like to do during the off season as far as improving their teams. I kind of agree with him. Like you, you might only need about two weeks of free agency in order to complete the process. I, I know that's kind of mind-blowing in the minds of many people because, you know, you see that random signing on July 23rd and you're like, oh, well, it's a good thing we had the summer for that. No, you, you don't, though. I mean, you could just do it kind of in two weeks and, and escalate the process if you need to, I think. Teams will adapt. I just, I couldn't get over the fact that you, you said once again, cabins? It's cottages, Greg. Cottages. <laughs> they go to their cottages. I'm American, okay? I, I refuse to call it cottages. There's only one cottage in my life, Emily, and that's cottage cheese. Um Ooh. Yeah, I know, right? I, we went to a cheese making class. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before. Uh, me and Ruby did uh, a few weeks ago before all of this happened. And, uh, remember cheese making classes? And, uh, they said that if you have freshly made cottage cheese, like just cottage cheese straight from the cow or whatever you use to make cottage cheese, it's remarkably better than what you buy in the store. Now, this is like, again, one of those fallacies where I'm like, duh. For, for the entirety of my life, I don't like tomatoes. I do not like raw tomatoes. Tomatoes ruin a sandwich. It's a plank on my platform. All my life, I've been told, go to Italy, have a fresh tomato. It'll change your life. I feel like this is the same sort of thing, where if you hate cottage cheese, the cottage cheese industry is like, well, you just haven't had real cottage cheese. But I can't imagine it's any- – cottage cheese is cottage cheese. Anything made at home is better because there's no preservatives. It's it's going to be a more authentic product and it probably will taste a lot different because cottage cheese inherently is a really, really artificial product. The one that we get. Sometimes, sometimes processed food, like I'm sure there's more preservatives in American cheese than anything else in life, but damn it. American cheese is pretty good. Nasty. Ew. (laughs) Okay. It it melts really well. It just melts. I had a big, I had a big debate with my friends this weekend. Uh, cheddar, the best cheese. I think, I think cheese is, is something. First of all, Ryan says yes. I, I take cheese very seriously. Um, I think that cheese – I can't say one cheese is better than the other because I think cheese is a very situational thing for me. It's subjective. Like for example, right, well, oh, for example, like you know, blue cheese is probably my favorite kind of cheese. But would I sit down and be like, give me a block of blue cheese to eat? No, I'd probably say cheddar. I'd probably say – So the argument for cheddar is that it's the most versatile. Yeah. I mean I would agree with that. It, it, it's, it is the most versatile. You could use it – in any number of cuisines. Um, I mean, a, a good mozzarella, though, 
you know, like a, pretty a, well, actually not a mozzarella. Mozzarella is almost tasteless. Uh, a good uh, parmesan, like a parmesan for me, might be my favorite cheese. Oh, like, that's an interesting choice. By the way, if you are someone who has access to a Trader Joe's, the uh, it's like a I forget oh, what a the name of the cheese, these days. but I know it has it has pepper on the on the sides of it. It's the best cheese you've ever had. You'll never use anything else for pasta. And it's only four ninety nine. <laughs> it's Trader Joe's, baby. Um, again, if you can go to okay. Trader Joe's. The draft is another topic that came up recently. We're talking about what the lottery could look like, what the uh, order could look like, what conditional picks could look like. All of that obviously is contingent on what the NHL ends up doing with its season. That said, our friend Craig Custance wrote recently about one idea being bandied about in the NHL, which was, or at least by one team, that's probably out of the playoffs, which is the idea that the teams that are not in the playoffs play some sort of tournament in order to establish who gets the first overall pick. L.A. Kings coach Todd McClellan was asked about this very concept on a call on Monday, and this was his response. Well, I'll start with that second scenario. I'm not a, a fan of it one bit. Uh, I don't think that the draft and the draft lottery was ever put in uh, to reward a winner of, uh, of a tournament. When you take, uh, the teams that don't make the playoffs, so team 17, uh, might miss the playoff, if that's the number, uh, may miss the playoff by one point, um, and you compare them to teams that are at, uh, 31, uh, there's a big discrepancy between 17 and 31. 17 should have a, a greater chance at winning. And they're less likely to need the first pick overall. So for me, it's counter, uh, counterintuitive to, to do it that way. It makes no sense, but, um, you know, I'm only one voter. He is only one voter, but I, you know, I, I think the point stands that if you are the Detroit Red Wings and you are horrible, um, you, you, you shouldn't have to go through Vancouver or the Islanders to secure the first overall pick because the the Islanders are 41 points better than the Detroit Red Wings and under this format could secure the first overall pick by beating a team that can't win. What kind of logic is that? It's funny. I was planning on asking Peter DeBoer about this today because I'm curious of what a guy who has no horse in this specific race would think because the Vegas Golden Knights obviously would not be involved with this. Um, but the point of this, I think, the crux of it is, is not if it's fair. Is it good for the league? And right now, I think what's good for the league is visibility. And mm-hmm. I can't help but think these are the ideas we're going to hear more and more of like, okay, we're not doing the award show. How can we make it a spectacle? Or how can we make it a TV event that people would watch? I think that's what we're going to be talking about with the draft this year to keep the NHL relevant. And I, I can't help but wonder if Steve Mayer, um, I, I can't think of his exact job title, but chief content officer. Chief of guy the NHL. who creates all the fun stuff. Yeah, he's getting a bigger and bigger voice. That's been the trend over the last two, three years in the NHL, that he has a big influence on things like the NHL All-Star game. He's a wacky guy with a wacky ideas. He came up with the top golf event at All-Star. I think he's the one that's that's going to be behind these. And I'm curious to see what else we come up with. And I, I think that, you know, this one, for competitive reasons, doesn't stand. But I don't think we should just scoff at these just because they sound so different. I think the NHL needs to be really creative here um, because they are in a situation where they need to get on people's radars. I completely agree. I would love if Steve Mayer had a bigger role in crafting made-for-TV things for the NHL. I do think they have to pass the idiot test. Uh, <laughs> the 
player conference calls over the last few days. The last ones are being held as we do this podcast today, uh, involving the Central Division. Give, give your, do you have like one favorite takeaway from any of these calls so far? Besides that, like one, one of them was actually great. Like if you can hunt down the Pacific Division call with all the California players yeah. plus Mark Andre Fleury, like really entertaining. Like worth your your half an hour spent to see four guys that are are fond of each other kibitzing over a video conference. And that that was the one where Ryan Getzlaff went off and showed off his the chicken coop that he built during the quarantine. Uh, but do you have any any takeaways during any of this stuff? You know, firstly, they're moderated by NHL PR. So this is clearly, it's not even a publicity stunt. It's just an attempt, like I mentioned earlier, to stay relevant and give us content and keep talking about the NHL. I do think that overall, it was a nice job and it did feed us content for about a week. Uh, my biggest takeaway was just the disparity between what some guys have in terms of what they can work out with to other guys. Like Alex Ovechkin is probably at the top or echelon of what guys have available to them right now. His trainer comes in every year right before the playoffs. Luckily, he came in before this, is living with him and working him out through his private gym. That's pretty convenient. Nick Foligno has a private gym at home. He's doing Zoom calls. And then you get some guys who are in condos and like just sit-ups and push-ups, more sit-ups and push-ups today. So I think that's why we do hear guys saying, not only do we need a couple preseason games or, you know, games before the playoffs, but like give us a training camp. We need it. My favorite thing from the uh, NHL players are just like us file is where they choose to set up their webcams. Oh, uh, yes, yes, Half yes. the players, it's in front of a bare wall, so no one can see <laughs> anything that's going on in their house. Um, but a couple of them, uh, Brady Kachuk being one of them, who is currently cloistered in the Kachuk uh, compound, uh, has it in front of like a giant bookcase filled with amazing knickknacks. You can see like his dad's. Uh, Winnipeg Jets stuff up there. And then, of course, the best ever was Marc-Andre Fleury, who, who like, did his video conference in front of his, like, Jennings trophies, I think, or something. I don't even I don't know if he has a Jennings, but whatever goalie trophies he has uh, were up there on his shelf behind him as he did the video conference. Oh, and also, of course, Sid doing his video conference in front of giant pictures of him winning the Stanley Cup with the Penguins, which is just incredible. And someone pointed out there was like a big painting behind SIDS or a photograph and it was something historical World War II involving Halifax. Yeah, well, he's a a, a, a military history nut. Like we know very few things about Sidney Crosby. One of the things that we know is that he is a history – he's like your dad. He's like a history – not your dad, but dads in general. History (laughs) channel, military history nut. Um, It's like his favorite thing uh to to study away from you know the rink and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case one thing we should mention though is that the players are obviously trying to help out as as much as they can uh for people that are in need for first responders for everybody out there and that includes putting the word out to make sure that you are uh, safe and sound and not trying to spread uh covid-19 to your friends that includes Shea Weber being asked by his team to make a robo call on behalf of the government of Quebec that uh, folks up there are hearing when they pick up their phone, and it sounds like this. Hello, I'm Shea Weber, captain of the Montreal Canadiens, and this is a message from the government of Quebec to tell you about some measures you can take to help you get through this COVID-19 outbreak. It is very important for everyone to protect themselves against the virus. How can you do that? With simple measures such as washing your hands often and coughing into your elbow. It's also essential to stay home, especially if you're not feeling well. Please don't leave home unless it's for a doctor's appointment or to go get some fresh air. Daily necessities such as groceries and medications can be delivered to your door. And 
If you're feeling alone or isolated, we encourage you to contact your friends or loved ones by phones or by the internet. You can get more information on the website quebec.ca. Again, this message comes from the government of Quebec in the hope of keeping you safe and helping to slow the spread of this virus. There you go. This is the greatest NHL civic engagement campaign, which surpasses the previous record held by Kale McCarr, who greeted those at the Denver International Airport and showed them their way to baggage claim. Look up that video. Also awesome. I think Steven Stamkos also has a recorded thing in the Tampa airport. I do feel like it, this would be more effective if he had ended it with, and if you don't follow these rules, I will shoot a puck at you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Personally, I think that would have been a nice capper. But again, nice stuff from Shea Weber, nice stuff from the Habs, nice stuff from all the players uh, that are, are stepping up and trying to make a difference right now. And Because uh, it's weird times for everybody, including NHL coaches, which brings us to our first guest. All right, joining us now on the line, and, and thanks for uh, for doing this. It's uh, Vegas Golden Knights coach Pete DeBoer uh, joining uh, myself and Emily Kaplan here. And Pete, I guess first question is, uh, uh, t- take us through what it was like for you when news came down that the season was going to be paused. What were those next few days like for you? Yeah, wow. Uh, you know what, I, you look for words to describe it. Surreal is probably the... Uh, the best one it, it's uh you know obviously no one has seen or been through anything like this in in our lifetime um and uh we were in minnesota on the road uh we were we had got up that morning and the coaches had gone over to the to the rink uh to prepare our meetings for in our game day skate that day we were supposed to play that night in minnesota so we were at the rink and uh we got a a message uh, from our general manager just basically saying that uh, um, none of the players were were going to come over. Uh, there was going to be no meetings held uh, today, and there was going to be no games tonight. Uh, you know, as a directive from right from the NHL. So we went back to the hotel and and had a, a team meeting with everybody, and and basically made plans to to get back to Las Vegas. Now at that time, you know. I think the thinking was it might be three, four days, it might be a week, uh, and then we would be able to resume. Uh, but obviously that, that quickly uh, changed uh, to, to much more of the, of the long-term situation we're looking at now. I'm curious, once the NHL told players they could go anywhere, they could go back to their home countries, they can go to their off-season homes, firstly, how many of the Vegas Golden Knights stayed in Vegas? And did any players consult you saying, hey, what do you think would be best um, kind of what are those conversations like? Yeah, you know what? It, it, it ended so quickly. Uh, really, our, our, our team meeting was in Minnesota. Um, as, as soon as we landed back in Las Vegas, the directive was to go home uh, and to stay in the area uh, because, like I said, we you know we all thought that we might be able to resume fairly quickly at that point. Um, and uh, and then obviously the three four days to a week turned into the long term. So we we never ever got together again as a group. So mm-hmm. you know the communication with players has been really sporadic. Um, it was a it was a strange kind of ending uh, the way it worked out. And uh, and obviously when they closed the practice rinks and and things like that, uh, you know three or four days into it, uh, there wasn't an opportunity to really run into anybody. Um, so, 
Uh, I think, uh, you know, within a week, the directive came out that players were allowed to return home to their, their countries or, or their homes, wherever they were. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't have a, a counter track on exactly where everybody is. It's, uh, um, it, it, it's, uh, it's just a strange situation. Yeah. Um, what's your typical day like these days? Uh, we were talking to, uh, Tom McClellan the other night and about, uh, you know, watching a lot of old games, going through video, going through that process. Uh, what's your day like? How, how much interaction are you having with other members of the organization on the, uh, on the hockey ops side? And, uh, what's, what's going on there? Yeah. So we have a weekly, uh, conference call with our coaching staff, uh, every Thursday. Uh, we've done that and, uh, last week it was just on a on a phone conference call. This week we're going to elevate it and, and get on to Zoom or one of these uh, <laughs> uh, uh, virtual things where we can where we can actually see each other. Um, so we've got a weekly call uh, with the coaching staff, and we're all working on different projects, both you know around our own team game and some of the teams that potentially we might see in the playoffs. So that's a weekly uh, thing that we look forward to. Um, you know, the daily routine is, is really preparation for that weekly meeting, looking at, at video or whatever area each of us is studying. Um, I'm fortunate I have uh, two uh, basically college-age boys at home. One plays hockey at Boston University. The other one's going to go to Holy Cross uh, in the next year. So they've got me working out. I'm probably in the best shape I've been in, in 10 years. They drag, they drag Good me for you. Yeah, I've got uh I've been hitting Amazon Prime hard and they've been delivering all kinds of equipment here uh <laughs> to our cottage because obviously the gyms are closed so um yeah they're they're dragging me around with them here and uh you know obviously to my benefit. I'm curious we we've, we've heard a lot of crazy proposals of things that should happen, you know, now that we're in this unprecedented time. And one of the things people are discussing is what should happen with the draft lottery. And I'm just curious of your opinion as someone who doesn't have a horse in the race this year. The Vegas Golden Knights are likely not a lottery team. Um, we've heard talk about there having to be a, a tournament to decide who gets the number one pick. What do you, you think when you hear that? Uh, you know, I, my, my first reaction, I read Todd McClellan's comments, and I probably agree with Todd. You know, the, the, the one... The one thing I, I, I've always uh, liked um, is the idea that you don't reward teams for just uh, mailing it in down the stretch. And I think the lottery has has kind of uh, uh, done that. You can't just tank because, uh, you know, the odds have shown that it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the first overall pick. So I think we addressed that uh, with the lottery. I think I think having been a guy who stood behind the bench uh, in those seasons where you are one of those lottery teams, you know, you really don't want to go back and, and have to to play in for the first overall pick. You really want those seasons to end as quickly as possible and and move on to the next year and, and start planning and getting ready. So, uh, you know, and I think from a fan perspective, I can't speak for them, but you know, I, I think people are looking forward to seeing the best teams in the playoffs and playoff hockey. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the appetite for that would be from a, from a fan point of view. You mentioned playoff hockey. I mean, you guys are sitting in the catbird seat in the Pacific as the season paused with, uh, in first place, uh, a few points clear of Edmonton. 
Um, what's your what's your ideal playoff format? There's been a lot of of ideas being bandied about about expanding the field this season to make it equitable for teams that are on the bubble in case we don't get a chance to complete the regular season. Is that something you're in favor of? What what would be the the top 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 tippy top limit of teams that you could uh, you'd want to see in a postseason? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I think I think uh, we, we've got a great group uh, at the NHL level that are taking all kind of suggestions. You know, from a coaching perspective, uh, I've got a couple thoughts. Uh, one, you know, I don't want to be the team with a bye sitting there after being off for a month or two months or three months, uh, you know, having teams play two out of threes and play mm-hmm. in while you're sitting there and then and then you know there's a huge advantage to have actually having played games uh, as opposed to sitting there and and I know the buy sounds like it's an advantage it's an advantage if you have if you've been playing an entire 82 game season and you roll into that and you have a week or 10 days to prepare for the next round but when you've been sitting around for two or three months it's a disadvantage uh, to to get a buy and have to play a team that that's coming off a two out of three or something like that so you know that from a from a, a strict strictly fairness point of view you know that would be a concern for me um you know and and i think uh, gary bettman said it best you know i think if we're going to award the stanley cup you want to make sure that there's some integrity to the process and and uh you know that that's the most important piece so whatever the answer is um you know whoever's team goes on that cup you know, there has to be enough integrity to the the process and the and the decision making to how we're going to do it. That you know that that team's not going to have an asterisk beside it. Uh, um, you know, in the history books. Yeah, for sure. The one thing I'll, I'll I would add to that is that the players, to a man, seem to be pretty adamant about getting games in before the postseason. Connor McDavid was talking the other day about you know, parachuting right into a Edmonton-Calgary series and how murderous that might be for the players. Uh, it sounds like you're yeah. on the same page. You'd like to see maybe a, a few games as a ramp-up uh, for the playoffs and, and especially to not keep teams on the sideline while the playoffs are going on. Yeah, ho- hockey's a little different than some other sports. And, and, and you know, if you haven't been skating, uh, it takes it takes a while to get those legs, your those skating legs back and, and the timing of, of handling pucks and shooting and things like that. Like it, it, it's not like a, some other, some other sports where maybe you can jump into that a little bit quicker or, you know, you can play basketball in your backyard, uh, in preparation for a season in downtimes like this. We, you know, we, we don't have any access to ice. I would doubt there's anybody skating right now. And, you know, when that carries into a month or two months or three months, uh, you know, it's going to take some time to get that back and you've got to build that in. You know, we're starting to talk potentially about playing into August. The NHL has told teams to look into building availability through there. Let's say we get to a situation where the off season is just September and you have to start again in October. I'm curious from a coaching perspective how that would alter your approach. What would be the challenges? Would next year be the year that we finally see load management come into the NHL? Yeah. Well, first, I, I can imagine uh, playoff hockey in Vegas in August. It'd be 120 degrees. It'd be awesome. I mean, you'd, you'd, be, you'd definitely have to change. You'd have to change the dress code uh, for the players coming to the rink. But you know, I, I think it would be. I think it would be awesome. I think. I think people by that point would be starving for for hockey. Uh, I know to a man, the players want to have a, 
an ending to this season and want to end it the right way. I know our group, you know, you get this far into a year, you can taste the Stanley Cup playoffs and you and you want some closure to that. So I think whether we play in, in July, August, September, uh, I think uh, I'm all for uh, figuring out a way to, to get some closure to this season before we roll into the next. And, um, you know, as far as rolling into the next season, uh, what a great problem to have, you know, if, <laughs> if, if, uh, if that's the case. Uh, that means that we've had a, a Stanley Cup uh, playoff and the Stanley Cup's been awarded for this year and if it means some load management I, I think coaches in our league are already uh, uh, work with load management uh, you know we don't healthy scratch uh, star players for the most part but there's definitely load management uh, where you know we drop their minutes or we give them uh, 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 extra days off at practice or keep them off the ice on pregame skates. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe the fan doesn't see when they show up and sit in their in their seat where, where we're giving you know the key guys or the guys that, that uh, are loaded up with those minutes uh, the proper amount of rest. Yeah, I remember that was the thing in San Jose for you, the, uh, the, the no-practice stuff. And, and people yeah, we, right... well, we, had an, we, had an old, we had an older team, and... Uh, um, you know, and uh, and they were a group that loved to practice. So that, that was a little bit uh, pulling teeth to get Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski and Brett Burns <laughs> and some of those guys to stay off the ice, uh, which was a great problem to have as a coach because, uh, you know, that, they're such great professionals. But, uh, you know, I thought that was, that was something that uh, I thought really benefited some of those guys. Last one for me. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you since uh, you were hired in Vegas, and I found that to be fascinating because you, outside of maybe like Evander Kane, you were like public enemy number one in Vegas, <laughs> yeah. right? Number, Is, number uh, two. The, Evander, Evander was definitely one. Evander <laughs> is definitely number one. You, I, I, I was telling people, it's, it's like if Lex Luthor was all of a sudden leading the Justice League. <laughs> like, it, it was incredible to me. What, what, I mean, did you have any dynamic with the fans or the players? Did you have any heat coming into that place when you got hired? Uh, you know what? The, I thought the players were great. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was a little uncomfortable walking in. We, we had had some epic battles with that group over the last three years. Um, you know, having played them in the playoffs twice and, and, uh, you know, all the baggage and some of the games we had during the regular season. Uh, so, you know, my first meeting with, with the group, uh, was a little uncomfortable, but they, they were great. And, and, you know, that for me, that showed, uh, you know why they've had the record they've had and done the things they've done since expansion because uh you know as pros they they i thought they handled that exceptionally well um you know from a fan perspective honestly um i, I got a lot of you know boy i hated you when you coached in san jose but uh you know we're, we're starting to get used to you <laughs> so that that's good you know unfortunately we we had to take a break but uh um, I think I think the fans there are so passionate, <clears throat> and and I think that's what you see. You know, I, I think uh, Gerard Gallant and his staff did an unbelievable job, an epic job. You know, probably will go down the history of of the game uh, for for what they accomplished with an expansion team in the first three years and what they did there. So, you know, to replace uh, somebody like that uh, is always tough, and and uh, that community and those players were were. Uh, you know, emotionally invested with him. So, 
it wasn't easy, um, and uh, we tiptoed around uh, some things. But I think every day got a little more comfortable. They were really receptive, and and obviously winning helps. And and we found a way to win games. And and I think uh, you know uh, every day uh, it got a little bit better. All right, Coach, we appreciate you. Before we let you go, I just have to ask you one thing. We're recording this on Tuesday, the same day the NHLPA player poll came out, and there's some interesting answers in there. Among the worst trash talkers of the league, there's some obvious candidates like Brad Marchand, Drew Doughty, P.K. Subban. But number four is Nick Cousins, six, nearly 6% of the votes. And you've only been around him a short while, but can you confirm, is he a bad trash talker? <laughs> you know what? He's a... Uh... I'll put it this way. He's one of these guys that you love to have on your team and you hate to play against. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, 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 he's in a typical fashion of, of those type of guys. They're, they're quiet. They're mild mannered off the ice. They're very polite. Um, and then, uh, you know, the puck drops and, and, a, and a, a switch flicks and, um, you know, it, it's their competitiveness that, that, uh, that gets them in those situations. So, um, you know, I, I love the acquisition when we got him. I love uh, what he brings. I think uh, you need some of that, especially come playoff time, and uh, it drags other people into the battle in your group. Um, and, uh, you know, we're happy to have him. But I'm not surprised he's on that list. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Coach, stay well. Keep doing those workouts with your son. Uh, and we can't, yeah. sons, and we can't <laughs> wait to see you back at the rig soon. Thanks, guys. Our thanks to Peter DeBoer of the Vegas Golden Knights. I, I have to say his name like Gary Thorne would say it back in the day on ESPN because I grew up with that. And he just has one of those names that sounds good when you say it like Gary Thorne. Peter DeBoer, Raymond Bork. Um, the NHLPA, Emily, dropped their 2019-20 NHL Players Association poll uh, to give content-starved uh, writers and fans something to mull over this week few things that struck me as interesting first off something that had nothing to do with like who the best player is or anything like that when they were asked if they were in favor of relaxing the game day dress code nhl uh, similar to the nba nhl players 73 percent of them supported the idea that they should relax the dress code that wasn't something i really expected i thought these guys were cool with the way they were dressing no, I, I think there's a big underswelling movement. I think Kevin Hayes is the president of it. He's been really leading this charge. I know how you feel about Kevin Hayes. You think of the great signing in Philadelphia. I, I, he, I, he's, I'm coming around on Kevin Hayes. He's a delight. <laughs> he's a delightful, funny dude. We know that. And maybe he yeah. meant more to that team. I still don't think it's commensurate with the salary, but he clearly means something to the Flyers. Okay, my biggest takeaway is... How good of a golfer does Greg McKegg have to be to garner 4% of the votes in this poll? <laughs> what golf game did he play when he was with either the Pittsburgh Penguins? I believe now he's on the Rangers. Maybe he was briefly with the Canes. Um, he must have just scorched guys and just stomped all over them for them all to vote for him. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And Joe Pavelski, by the way, the runaway winner in that category. Uh, some of the other stuff, I found it to be interesting that very close vote here. Uh, when players were asked if they should showcase their personalities on the ice with personalized equipment, only 53% of the players polled were in favor of it. So you're looking at 47% of the players said, no, we, we don't want any individuality, which kind of makes sense in the sense that like the older players, the ones who keep this whole hockey culture thing on lock, 
probably are the ones saying that, and the younger players are like, come on, let me customize my skates, which was the number one thing that uh, that the yes people said they wanted to do with their equipment. Sidney Crosby. Would you know what's funny? Yeah. When we were talking about the funniest player, though, which is usually the best personality in the room, all four guys that are up there are over the age of 30. Keith Yandel, Drew Doughty, Brad, is Doughty over 30? Brad Marshall, uh, Phil he's, Kessel. He's, I think he might be 30. No, but you're right, though. Like, that's a very good point because younger guys don't talk. They're, yeah. they're, they're afraid to talk. Hockey culture keeps Drew down Doughty the younger funny 30. players. Yeah. Uh, Crosby wins three awards. Sid, Sid wins, uh, most complete player, which is a hell of an honor. Um, and uh, the most interesting thing about that, by the way, was the guy who did not make the cut for the top five for most complete player, which was Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid won uh, the um, best forward, but not part of the top four in most complete player, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, but you know what I think is even more interesting? He doesn't get the complete player, but when they ask guys, of all players past and present, who would you like to, see, who would you pay to see play? The right. only current player on that list is Connor McDavid with nearly 8% of the votes. Pretty crazy. Like, he's on the list with like Gretzky and Orr and Mario. That, that's, that yeah. was a fascinating thing. Uh, Crosby also won the, um, uh, player they would choose to have on their team to win one game. I don't know, I'd probably choose a goalie. Um, and then uh, <laughs> he won the player his peers would lo- most like to see on social media. I mean, okay. I mean, I, I guess that's, that's the curiosity factor, right? Like, yeah, it's just kind of what would Sid do on social media versus the incendiary takes and, and awesome content that is just like bubbling up inside of them. It's probably just like, what does this weirdo do? Like, is Sid, does Sidney Crosby Instagram story, you know, his, his cooking? Like, what what is it that he would do on social media? I, I find this to be... An acceptable answer, only from the curiosity standpoint. Um, I agree. We, we got to get the trash talker. <laughs> trash talker was this is incredible. Brad Marchand won best and worst trash talker for the second straight year, and Drew Doughty was best and worst trash talker number two, right behind him. It's a so. Do you think it's just a misinterpretation of the question that this keeps happening? No. Yeah. Yes and no. I think it's there's an overlap in there, right? You can be a good trash talker and a bad trash talker. I think it's just the volume of trash talk. I think it's really who's when they ask the best. I think they should really be asking who trash talks the most. That's how right. I interpret that question. Right. Um, yeah, and, and as you notice with this poll, unlike you know the one that you'll find on ESPN.com, um, they're all positive questions. What's the best of re- visiting arena locker room? We don't find out the worst. You got to go to ESPN for that. That's exactly right. Your player poll was awesome. Um, Two more things. No coke on this one. No cocaine. No, no cocaine questions. No, no cocaine. <laughs> they didn't send out the cocaine question to the to the uh, NHLPA uh, personnel. Um, two more things. Uh, the they did a women's hockey question, uh, mm-hmm. in which uh, Mary Philippe Poulin, the bane of my existence, uh, won for best women's player ahead of Hillary Knight. Interesting though that they actually gave them four choices. It wasn't simply just name a, fe- a female hockey player. Uh, like it was for other other you know awards, uh, Poulin, Hillary Knight, and Kendall Coyne uh, Schofield were the th- the three choices, and then other was was the third the fourth choice, which I thought was sort of interesting. Um, That's for all the Finns to vote for Nora Ratu. I guess so, right? I mean, they could have done that. Uh, no, without honestly, having three choices made for them. Right. What I find is, I think if you could ask, uh, let's say, a hundred percent of the NHL players in the league to name a women's hockey player, I think ninety six percent could do it. Yeah, I, I think, do find them 
really engaged and there's a definite community and bond between both sectors. And I, and I do wonder if the question simply was name a female hockey player, if these three wouldn't have been the choices anyway. Like Ken, Kendall, they know from the All-Star game. Hillary, mm-hmm. they know from like, because she's Hillary Knight. And Poulin's a national hero. So that's, I would be interested to see exactly what, what those percentages would be if it was just simply name a female hockey player. And then no, finally, no, no. I, they didn't, they didn't just give them options, by the way. They, they had other votes and Emily Matheson, aka Emily Flazer, I believe is her maiden name, um, gets 1.41% of the vote because her husband's on the Florida Panthers. That's true. That's very <laughs> so true. it's all of his friends and teammates being like, and she is awesome. She's a really great defender and she's on the national team, but it is kind of funny that she sneaks in there. Congratulations to other. Um, the final one, I found this really interesting. So the Blackhawks always win best hockey jersey, no matter where the, the, the poll is being held, whether it's amongst the players, the fans, whoever. They're constantly winning best hockey jersey. What I found really interesting was second place was a tie. Second place was a tie between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Vegas Golden Knights. New kids on the block. Third, are they the second best jersey in hockey? The Golden Knights? I mean, they're, 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 it's a sharp look. It's definitely grown on me and a lot of people. But like Detroit, uh, you know, there's a few others out there that I would probably put ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights, but second best jersey tied with the Maple Leafs. So that was really interesting. A fashion statement. Yeah. All right. Uh, it is now time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. And uh, we're going to lean into hyperbole this week. Dave Hodge. Venerable hockey commentator, host of that reporter's roundtable show that everybody loved that's not on the air anymore. It's a damn shame. It's a good show. He had an all-time take this week on Twitter. He said, I, and perhaps you, will do just about anything to pass the time these days. But I, what I will not do is pay even the slightest bit of attention to a simulated baseball game. Wait for it. Or have sex with a blow-up doll. Which is the same thing. Wait, what? (laughs) I didn't see this before you sent it. What? Dave Hodge said, What I will not do is pay the slightest bit of attention to a simulated baseball game or have sex with a blow-up doll, which is the same thing. I see the logic. I do. I mean, I I, I, I think that the logic is, is well explained if... A bit of a turn. <laughs> yeah, that took a turn. It definitely I'm, I'm took just, a turn. Yeah. Um, but hey, it's pretty great. Um, as far as takes go, <laughs> we have some listener mail before we get to headlines. Uh, my friend Kishore Hari wants to know if the season playoffs are finished in July or August, as rumored, when will next season start? And should they push it back? I think the assumption at this point is, yes, they would push it back. How far back? I'm not sure. Um, you know, maybe it's a early, early November or late October start date. But um, I do believe the players would push for some resemblance of an offseason that's more than just three or four weeks. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and you know, I, it all depends on how much they want to compress the schedule and, you know, say goodbye by weeks and all-star game. If the, if the games are in August and the season's pushed back, obviously there's, there's ways to remedy the schedule a little bit. Cat Pope wants to know if the season is canceled, did the Sharks technically miss the playoffs? <laughs> That's a good Should've question. Should have asked that to Peter DeBoer. Should have asked that to Peter DeBoer earlier. Phil- philosophical question. Did did every team miss the playoffs then? Or just the Sharks? Or just or just the teams mm-hmm. that are outside looking in? I think someone asked us about their futures bet on the Sharks, and it didn't look that bad anymore, and I'd have to agree. Yeah. Right. Finally, Marcus Although, wants to know, Marcus. how do you think an extremely shortened offseason impacts players like Patrick Marlowe and Justin Williams? Well... I mean, one way to look at it is, is to look at exactly what Justin Williams did this season, which is to bide his time until halfway in and then go. I wonder how many other players would follow that plan, veteran players, if in fact we had a truncated regular season next year. Like, you know, why, why murder your body for three months when you can just, just hop in around the uh, 40 game mark and, and go from there? Right. And the key of why Justin was able to do that and fit in so seamlessly with the Kansas year is because he had access to ice. So right now the guys don't have access to ice, but yeah, maybe in September, October, November, they skate, they get ready. They wait mm-hmm. for January, February and says, who wants me now? There you go. All right. Puck headlines, Dateline, uh, Alberta. Um, Layoffs for both the Oilers and the Flames. In the Flames case, approximately 150 employees representing about 50% of its full-time workforce were given two weeks' notice of a 60-day temporary layoff. Um, supplemental un- unemployment benefits plan in place. Uh, benefits uh, will run uh, for uh, the period of the layoff. So at least some semblance of taking care of people during this uh, this thing. Um but I do hearken back to the idea that the Flames got $290 million from the city to build an arena. And now they're laying off people. But it's neither here nor there. Dateline, the Kachucks. Brady says he and Matthew are cloistered in their family home in St. Louis. Emily, would this be the highest rated reality TV program in the history of hockey were it to be filmed? Keith, Matthew, and Brady in quarantine? Well, yes, it was because its only competition was that weirdly produced PK Subban series on NBC Sports <laughs> and Road to the Stanley Cup, which no one, it's, it's, yeah, this, this would be high. This would be high, for sure. This would be and high. I would love this. It'd be awesome. Uh, he, Brady said that he, that he and Matthew are, uh, trading off time on the Peloton. So that's also something okay. to look forward to. Uh, Dateline I mean, Sports Movies. 24 hours in a day, really only, you need one hour for a Peloton. You only need one hour, right? Uh, Dateline Sports <laughs> Movies. The Athletic ran its top 100 sports movies thing. Miracle was number five. I mean, come on. I, amazing hockey moments. Cinematography was incredible. One all-time great performance. But the fifth? Out of all the movie of sports? This isn't hockey movies. This is sports movies. Fifth. Oh, I see. I... Are you saying it was snubbed or not? I thought it was snubbed. I, I'm, I I'm saying it is. I'm saying this is a hockey fan. It is way too high. I, I would okay. find room for it maybe in my top twenty-five, but I don't even consider it the best hockey movie ever made. It's Slashot. Well, you have to consider that the Athletic employs about sixty-seven percent of all living hockey journalists in in the United States. 
<laughs> right, exactly. Right. So consider, you know, when they're calculating this with the entire athletic staff, it's a skewed number of hockey fans proportionate to the regular population. That said, I think love Miracle. I do too, but there's no way it's the fifth greatest sports movie of all time. Interesting list, by the way. If Rounders is a sports movie, so is King of Kong, the documentary about Donkey Kong. <laughs> without question. If poker is a sport, so is video games. Uh, Dateline, uh, Alex Ovechkin. Capital Star says his favorite TV show is Deal or No Deal. It's what he's doing on Wine, watching Howie Mandel, a bunch of models with briefcases for an hour long. He's obsessed with it. Emily, is there a non-Jeopardy game show you were obsessed with? Well, all I have to say, firstly, is that they say Russians are typically a couple years behind on their pop culture, so this tracks. <laughs> he also said his favorite artist was Eminem. Um, but yeah, I'm a big Family Feud gal. Had the computer game, love Family Feud. Oh, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I I mean, I, Price is Right was always a thing for me, but like, I, I, I don't make the time to watch it that I do make for something like Jeopardy. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to say this though, since, uh, since changing, uh, television providers, uh, not having the game show network for old episodes of Match Game is kind of a bummer because that would always be comfort food for me. Bad 1970s suits, horrible <laughs> sexual innuendo jokes, Match Game, baby. Uh, Dateline Classic Games. In our continuing quest to give you content and entertainment during the pause, our second week, of classic game lookbacks. We did the David Ayers game between the Hurricanes and the Leafs. I got to tell you, I love this because I was, I believe I was working that night and I didn't actually see the game. So this was, this was the first time I sat down to watch that train wreck unfold in Toronto. Um, it was awesome. Like I, I really enjoyed watching the chaos play out over the course of a period and change. Yeah. I had watched it live for the third period when it happened and only seen clips since. What struck me, though, was just what a meltdown by that Toronto Maple Leafs offense and how many opportunities they had with power plays and whatnot and just how bad they were. And the other thing that stuck out to me was just how much fun you could see David Ayres start to have throughout the game and him loosening up. And every time they saw a shot of him on the bench and he was just laughing with teammates. And it it was a treat to watch. I, I recommend it for everyone. And it was awesome, awesome hearing the crowd too, because like at the beginning, mm-hmm. there was a bit of sort of Bronx cheering when he would do rudimentary plays, like just playing yeah. the puck out of the corner or whatever. And then, you know, as the game went on, they're getting more frustrated with their own team. And at the end of the game, like they're booing the Leafs off the ice. And then at the end of the game, when Ayers stops the last shot on goal, when the, the clock hits double zeros, like there's this cheer from the crowd of just acknowledging yeah. what they've seen. It was really, really fun to watch. Highly recommended. It's on ESPN Plus, and you can read uh, mine and Emily's viewer guide that we put together for it. And finally, Dateline, me and Emily. What are we watching? What are we reading? What are we streaming? Catch people up in the last week what you've been up to. I have to say, I think I have a similar viewing habit, habit as you because I've noticed you've been tweeting a lot about early season Top Chefs, <laughs> and that's what I've been watching. Give me um, all that Marcel drama. Give me one, two, and three. Damn right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, I, I was talking to my wife about this, the idea that like everybody's like Tiger King, Tiger King. And I'm like, there's so many things I've already watched that I would watch before indulging in some of the Netflix what? Okay. reality obsessions. Um, Did you not watch not Tiger King? I watched Tiger King, King this weekend. Yeah, I watched not, it this I'm weekend. I'm not going to watch it. I mean, half the NHL's watched it. It's right up your alley. It's I'm right sure up it's your great. alley. 
but like as far as sitting down and 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 checking my brain after after a day and yeah, give me give me. We went through the entirety of season two Top Chef. And by the way, in case you're somebody who's wondering about these sorts of things, on the Puck Soup, my other podcast, Patreon, a Top Chef podcast with my wife and me and Ryan Lambert has started. So, you know, if you it's do want to follow along, this is a season of All Stars, which I highly recommend. You could dive right in and, and pick it up. It's not you don't have to have a bunch of seasons of, of Top Chef in your belt to pick up the show. It's very accessible, especially in All-Star season. I would like to be on that. I, I volunteer myself as a guest for a mid-season You volunteer appearance. yourself a tribute on the on, – on, the name of the podcast I would enjoy is, that. Is, is Mise on Pod, and mm. uh, we cover <laughs> – we covered this season top show. So you're on. We'll have you on as a guest. I, call me on the first minute someone tries to make risotto. <laughs> exactly. That's my bingo All right. card. All right. That is ESPN on Ice for this week. A podcast about hockey, cheese, top chef, and farts. In that order, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can read our stuff on ESPN.com. Our thanks to Pete DeBoer for joining us. I'm Emily Kaplan. Yeah, Emily M. Kaplan on Twitter. Follow us up on ESPN.com. Thanks to you for sticking around this long. Uh, we appreciate you. We want you to stay safe. Give appreciation to our producer, Ryan Matlick, as well, who yeah. somehow is one of seven approved employees to go on the Bristol campus right now. Do I have that right, Ryan? Uh, you know, that number changes by the day. Wow. Right, do you get a whole building to yourself? Can you just run through the building in your underwear to, like, walk in on sunshine? It is becoming progressively harder to <laughs> force myself to wear pants to work. Yes, great. <laughs> Please, there you have it. Pa- Inse- essential ESPN employee, Ryan Matlack. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> thank actually, you, please, thank you. please wear pants because although we are in a quarantine pause, I, I do believe HR continues on unabated. So. Yeah, they're probably the other uh, six people in the building, so <laughs> I'll keep an eye out. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.